Good morning. As we think about Memorial Day, we think about our Lord Jesus Christ, who was willing to pay that sacrifice to lay down his life for you and I, for all of humanity. And we remember the men and women who were willing to lay down their lives, not only for Americans, but for people all around the world, people who were struggling for and seeking freedom. So we are thankful this morning. We've been singing about our country, thankful for the place God has given us, where we can come together, where we can sing praises to His name, where we can read Scripture, where we can discuss our faith freely. And I'm thankful for the men and women who went before us to ensure those freedoms. This Sunday morning, we're wrapping up our Hosea series, God's Relentless Love. This series has been broken up a little bit by guest speakers and different things going on, but two weeks ago, in chapters 11 and 12, we pointed to God's amazing character. We saw His patient kindness his relentless love, and His unyielding holiness. God's loving kindness for His wandering people, Israel, and how He still offers that amazing love to you and I today. You'll want to follow along in God's Word this morning. So if you um, have a Bible with you, we're turning to the minor prophet Hosea. It's not a book that we read often, but you can find him right after the major prophets, and the, the book right before Hosea is Daniel. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 710. We're going to be in chapters 13 and 14 as we wrap up Hosea today. The major themes that we've seen through this series, this is a message from God spoken through His prophet. And he spoke about Israel's rebellion. How they were chasing after idols. How they were chasing after false gods. And Hosea had the example in his life of marrying a woman who was unfaithful to him. And God said, I want you to continue to chase after her. There will be consequences for Israel leaving God. And there were consequences for Gomer, Hosea's wife, as she ran around on him. But then we saw God's relentless love and his mercy. And he told Hosea, call your wife back. Go chase after her. Buy her back. Redeem her. And make her your wife again. Just as God was calling Israel to do that. And in all of these messages, seeing their unfaithfulness, seeing the punishments and the judgments that were to come, we see that there's hope. Hope for redemption and hope for restoration because of God's relentless love, His mercy. He chases after people and continues to call them back into a relationship with Him. As we look back and we see Israel's failures of faith, we see people just like us today. People who need to be saved from false idols. Not something that you maybe have on a shelf, 
but someone or something in your life that's become more important to you than God. We need to be redeemed. We need to be saved from our own sin. We are a people who need healing, people who need complete restoration. And these things can only happen through a relationship with God, the one who not only created you, but the one who loves you with an everlasting love. As God spoke through his prophet Hosea, as he wrapped up this message, chapters 13 and 14, he concludes with a final warning of his righteous anger, but also the encouragement that hope still remains. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me before we read God's word? Our Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for bringing each one here together with us this morning, whether they're here in the building or they're online worshiping with us. I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would prepare our hearts to hear your word. You said that your word never returns void, but where, where, your, where your word is spoken, there is truth, there is power, because your word is living and active. Lord, challenge our hearts this morning. Show us the sin in our lives. Show us the things that we need to confess, the things that need to change. Let us receive your mercy and your love and your grace. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Here's the beginning of chapter 13. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor, or like smoke from a window. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard. I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast, and there I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast would rip them open. These are harsh words. God recounts Israel's sin one last time. Their persistent unfaithfulness and the coming judgment. Why does he keep talking about that? He wants them to know what's coming. He wants them to return to him. He wants them to repent. And he continues to remind them because he is faithful and his relentless love can still save them. Verse 2, they sin more and more. They make themselves metal images. Things just made by craftsmen, by human hands. How could they worship something that they've made themselves? Isn't it so obvious that these are false gods, that they are not real, like the God who created the universe? And instead of loving their own flesh and blood children, 
they offer them up as sacrifices. And they love lifeless golden calves. It says they kiss the calves and they offer their children as sacrifices. How sick is that? The false idols around them were often agricultural symbols. And so the golden calf, we remember all the way back to Mount Sinai when Moses received the Ten Commandments. They formed a calf and they started worshiping it. How could they worship their children? How could they, sorry, sacrifice their children? Well, we can connect that today to the children that are sacrificed through abortion. This is a, an immense tragedy of life. We should continue to vote against that. We should continue to support adoption alternatives, and we should help people who are seeking to give up their children. That's one way that we could sacrifice our children, but maybe to bring it closer to home for some of us, how are we sacrificing our children's innocence, their purity, through entertainment, through our culture, sexual topics, language, the lack of clothing, on regular TV, on streaming shows, in the movies, in music, in TikTok, all of the things surrounding us are perverted. And we easily just let our kids watch whatever they want to watch because it's keeping them quiet, it's appeasing them, it's surrounding us. And yet we're called to be holy as God is holy. We're called to be pure and separate and different from the culture around us. But we're called to still be loving, to show the gospel to our neighbors and to our communities. Please don't ignore what your children are watching, what they're reading, what they're listening to, because as you know, the things that fill our minds fill our hearts. And those are the things we dwell on. Those are the things that end up consuming us, affecting the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act. Instead of maybe just banning everything, teach them to be wise. Teach them to be discerning. Teach them to look for truth and look for lies. Teach them to recognize what is just and true and pure and what is something that is going to cause harm to them. Back to Hosea in chapter 13, verse 12. It says, The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. There's just no end to their sin, God says. It won't run out. And this is because they've become slaves to sin. They keep running back to it again and again. Galatians 5.1 says, Freedom, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus' death on the cross, His blood was payment for our sins. It broke the chains of sin so that we no longer have to continue in sin. Through the Holy Spirit, we can say no to sin. We can say no to temptation. And we can walk away from sin. So why chain yourself to it? Why put this yoke on yourself again? And this slavery terminology is something that Israel would identify with because they were slaves in Egypt. And God is telling them, the nations around you are going to enslave you just like you've been enslaved by your sin. You can't escape it. You won't escape it. 
I'm jumping around a little bit, but verse 3 talks about further judgment. Your lives will not be remembered. And he uses very visual language here. Your lives are going to disappear just like the morning mist, just like the dew evaporates as the sun comes out and warms it, just like dust on the floor blows away or smoke blows out a window and you don't even see it anymore. It's gone. There's no remembrance. Israel, that's what's going to happen to you. You're no longer going to be known as my people. You're just going to be dispersed and gone. This is a dire warning for Israel. James, in chapter 4, he said, What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will do this or do that. He was warning the people of his day that when you make plans, when you put all of your eggs in one basket, in a sense, and say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this today, and we're going to do that tomorrow, and that the next day. And God says, your life is short. You don't know what today is going to bring. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So don't make your life all about you and your plans. Don't make it about fulfilling your desires. Make it about God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Obey him. Put him first in your life. And again, Israel is putting these false gods in front of God. These idols, the things that they created, they're worshiping them instead of the true God that can really help them. There's a reminder again in verse 4, I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me. And besides me, there is no Savior. I was with you when you were lost through the desert. I was with you when you had no water. But I fed you. I saved you. And you forgot me. Verse 7, I will be like a wild animal. And he talks about a lion, a leopard, and a bear. I'm going to rip you open. I'm going to tear open your chest and expose your heart. Isn't that... What God's wanted all along, their hearts. He wanted a people who loved him with their hearts, not with their lips, not with their actions, but with their hearts. And he said again and again, your sacrifices, these things that you just do, are not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a heart that will follow me, that will obey me. Back in chapter 6-6, he said, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God doesn't want to see this judgment carried out. I don't want you destroyed like wild animals would rip you apart. God wanted Israel to know him, to love him. He wants you to know him, to love him. The things that you may sacrifice, the things you may give up, the things you may do to love others in his name come out of a heart that is fully satisfied in God. It's not looking for everything else in the world to fulfill it. And that's what God is calling you to. And he reminds us, I am your only Savior. There is none other but me. And he wants to preserve life rather than see it destroyed. In verse 14, he says, shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? 
compassion is hidden from my eyes. Those are the verses that Ryan read for, him, for us in 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul was quoting Hosea. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? There is no power over us because of Jesus Christ. Because of his blood on the cross, hell no longer has a hold on us. Sin no longer entraps us when we've trusted him as our Savior. We have victory through Jesus Christ. And then the final verse, verse 16 of chapter 13. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their little ones shall be dashed in pieces and their pregnant women ripped open. This is hard stuff to hear on a Sunday morning. These were hard things for God to say to his people. He wanted them to avoid this judgment. This is the worst possible part of it. Unspeakable pain, horrific consequences. Just like the wild animals ripping open their victims, God is using graphic descriptions of falling by the sword and of pregnant women being cut open. He wants his people to repent of their sin before it's too late. God is saying this ahead of time. This is what's going to happen if you don't turn to me. Sin will destroy you. It will destroy the people around you if you don't ask God to save you. And we see that today. Sin destroying the lives of people. Destroying their families. Destroying everything that comes in contact with them. And yet, hope still remains the final conclusion of God's message through his prophet Hosea, there is still great hope for the future if there is repentance, if there is true repentance. Hosea before has talked about them with, saying with their lips, yes, you are our God, but it wasn't true. It was just their mouths speaking the words. After all of these warnings, God wants them, the nation of Israel. He wants us today to know that it's not hopeless. These judgments don't have to come. Our sin and our mistakes, the things we've chosen to do, don't have to end in this terrible judgment. Turning to God in repentance is the beginning. Listen to the beginning of chapter 14. Verse 1, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you who have stumbled because of your iniquity, take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. What does true repentance look like? First of all, he says you've stumbled because of your sin, your iniquity. This word stumble is not like tripping over the little lump we have in the carpet out in the foyer that we hope to fix. It's not like tripping over the sidewalk where you just kind of catch yourself. This is head over heels. I'm not going to do this because it would hurt a lot. 
but head over heels falling forward into a pit. You have no control. You are just pitching into a hole, an abyss. That is what the real word here, this stumbling. So what does true repentance look like? You admit and you confess your sin. Verse 2 says, with your words, take your words, return to the Lord and say to Him, take away all iniquity. You admit, you confess your sin without excuse. You call it sin. You don't call it a mistake or an oops or a lack of judgment. You call it a lie, not fudging the details. You call it adultery, not an affair. You call it stealing, not borrowing. Don't we have all these nice words for our sin to make it just sound a little better? When we confess to God, we own our sin. We say, this is what I've done. You name it and you say, Lord, forgive me. You humbly ask for God's forgiveness. You confess to Him because you have sinned against the Lord your God. And then you confess it and you ask forgiveness of the person you've sinned against or multiple people if that's the case. You tell them what you've done. You confess it and you ask for their forgiveness. And then you accept the consequences. For Israel, that was making sacrifices. They had to give up the best of what they had. They made those sacrifices because that was God's way of getting their attention. Yes, you confessed your sin, but now it's going to cost you something. Give me your best bowl. Give me the first of your crops. Give me these things so that you recognize how big a deal this was. It's not a let's just sweep this under the carpet. It's okay. Forget about it. Yes, I will forgive you, but there's going to be a price to be paid. And what was that price? Blood. It took the life of an innocent animal to cover their sins. And for all of those years that they were offering up those animals, the sacrifices of blood were pointing to God's own Son, Jesus Christ, who would give His own life as a sacrifice for you and I. The only way that could pay for our sins was Christ's blood because of God's perfect justice. There has to be a life taken, a life given to cover our sin. The consequences may be big for you when you confess your sin. You may lose someone's trust when you admit that you've lied to them for years. You may lose your job. You may have to pay back what you've taken or make restitution. You may lose a friendship if that person chooses not to forgive you. But you have confessed it to God. You've confessed it to that person. You've asked forgiveness and you accept those consequences. That's real repentance. And then you trust in God's good mercy. Verses 2 and 3. Orphans find mercy from God. Returning children will find mercy from God. Even though their sins were in God's face and He was angered by them, when He forgives, it's all gone. And they will receive mercy. We receive God's mercy. And we don't continue 
to think of ourselves as a sinner. Yes, we continue to struggle with sin as believers, but those things that we've confessed to God, it says He will wash you and cleanse you and make you as white as snow. Those sins are gone. God doesn't hold them against you any longer. And if the person has truly forgiven you, they're not going to hold them against you. That's mercy. And God is abundant in His mercy. And finally, you promise, you vow to turn away from your sins. Real repentance is, in a, is a 180 degree turn away from your sin and to follow God, to obey God. I'm turning away from this. I'm not going to do that anymore. And I'm going to follow God. That's real repentance. We don't look for someone else to save us. We don't go crying to mama and say, this is too hard. I can't take this. What do I do? You accept the consequences and you turn from your sin. And the Bible says, flee it. Run the opposite direction. Learn from your sin. Learn from those trials. And learn to trust God that His way is always better. Wrapping up the chapter 14, 4 to 8. Almost wrapping it up. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. How does God respond to true repentance? With promises that can be trusted. With blessings that go way beyond what they deserve. With blessings that go beyond what we deserve. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of those sin is death. Not just physical death, but eternal separation from God. But God, who is rich in mercy, has given His Son, Jesus Christ, to give you a relationship with Him. Those are promises that we can trust. First, He says, I will heal their apostasy. I will heal you. In Luke 9.11, Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Jesus came just like was prophesied and came with healing. He healed people of their diseases. But even more importantly, he forgave their sins. Did you recognize that he did that almost every time someone was healed? He took care of their physical problem, but he said, your sins are forgiven because of your faith. He took care of their real problem, the healing that they needed because of the destruction of sin. God said, I will love you freely. In John 14, 23, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. 
God says, my anger and judgment will be over. God loves you. He loves Israel. And when we come to him, he wants always what is best for us. That's true biblical love, wanting what is best for the other person. And that's the way God loves us. He returns to the description of how Israel would disappear. Remember how the dew would disappear, the mist, the smoke would blow out the window. He uses that same kind of description here. And God says, I will be like dew to you, causing them to blossom like the lily. Life-giving water. Water to fill your soul. Jesus said, I am the water of life. Life-giving water. You will return to the promised land and you will be under my shadow. You're under the protection of God. God said, those that I've given to you, no one can pluck from my hand. Can you think of a safer place to be than in God's hand? Can anyone take you out of God's hand? When you've trusted him as your savior and you've become his child, his daughter, his son, what a great place to be. And here he describes it as his shadow. That made me think of a chicken. We had chickens uh, for a while in Indiana and we loved taking care of them. And the mother hen would spread her wings out and get all of her chicks underneath the wings, under her wings and protect them. They were safe there. They were under the shadow of her wings. And we had all kinds of predators nearby, whether they were hawks flying around or weasels or raccoons. Whatever was coming around wouldn't see those little chicks because they were hidden under the mother's wings. They were under the shadow of the wings. And that's this description that God gives. I love you and I'm going to gather you and protect you. You're going to be under my shadow. You're going to be safe and secure there. The Israelites are desert people. They were nomads. They traveled from place to place, often in dry, dusty land. So Hosea is using poetic language of trees, of shoots, of olives and grain, vines and wine, and evergreen cypress, fruits. These are all things that are growing, that have life. They're green. And they remind us of the perfect garden that God created at the very beginning. In chapter 1, he created the garden and it was named Eden. And it had everything good in it. And he created man and woman and he placed them there. A place where they could live and enjoy everything God had made. Everything was good for them except one tree. And he said, stay away from that. That is not good for you. Everything here is good, but this tree is not for you. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve fell to listening to Satan's lies. Oh, this is going to be so good. You need this. It's going to make you as smart as God. That's why he doesn't want you to have it. God's holding out on you. Go after this. Go chase after this. And isn't that what he does with sin? Satan makes sin look so much better than following God. He makes it look desirable. He hides it. He polishes it. He makes it appealing. And sin often is good, but for a season. We enjoy it physically, but then we realize it's going to destroy our souls. It's not going to satisfy us. It leaves us wanting more and more and more, and that leads to further sin and further sin and a destruction of us and those around us. 
this perfect garden that God created will be restored. It will be renewed. It's going to come back again. The land that God promised them, flowing with milk and honey, with grape clusters so big that it took two men to carry one cluster of grapes. He points forward to what we read in the book of Revelation. We see the picture again of this fully restored, perfect garden in the new heaven brought to earth. There's a river of water flowing through it, a water of life. There's a tree of life with 12 kinds of fruits on it and leaves that heal the nation. All the things that God is talking about here are echoed in the final chapters of Revelation. I will restore, I will return you, and not just you, Israel, but all who have followed me, all who have come to me with true repentance and said, I need you, God. I need a relationship with you. I need to give up my sin, forgive me, Cover me with the blood of Jesus Christ. And finally, in Revelation, God says, I've come to dwell with my people, and I will be with them forever and ever. Listen to the last verse, 14.9. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them but transgressors stumble in them. Whoever is wise and discerning, listen up. Are you wise? Are you discerning? Are you willing to listen to these warnings? Are you willing to listen to this call to repentance? God saying, I know what's good for you. I know what's best for you. Come to me. Give up these idols. Give up these things that you think are going to fulfill you. You think they're going to be good for you, but they're only going to hurt you. Come to me. This book is ending with a call to know God, to understand Him, to understand His warning and His message, but to walk in His ways. That means obeying Him. And then you will not fall. But those who disobey God will stumble. And again, that's falling into a pit. It's not just tripping over your foot. It's falling all the way. Do you want to be wise or discerning? The opposite of that word discerning, listen to what Google's antonyms list is. Dense, dull, obtuse, blind, wooden-headed, brainless, dumb, feeble-minded, foolish, idiotic, imbecilic, knuckle-headed, moronic, silly, simple, slow-witted, stupid, thoughtless, unintelligence, witless. Yikes. I'm not calling you that. God's Word says, be discerning, which means don't be knuckle-headed. That's a great word, isn't it? Don't be a fool. Don't be an imbecile. Don't be simple or stupid or thoughtless. Be discerning. Listen. When you hear the truth, respond to it. Don't fall for the lies of Satan. Don't fall for the lies of the world saying, all of these things are going to make you happy. 
if you just keep getting them and getting them and getting them. Solomon, who was supposedly the wisest man who ever lived, said, no matter what I got, no matter what I built, and this is the reason I say supposedly, no matter how many women I have, that wasn't wise. I was never satisfied. It was never enough. It's never enough. You're always going to want more. But God says, I will fill you. I will satisfy you. Life-giving water, the bread of life. These are the things that will satisfy your soul, a relationship with God, knowing your creator, understanding what he wants from you. And what is that? A life that glorifies him. We are image bearers of God. He created us in the garden to show the world to the ends of the earth what he is like, his character, his love, his mercy, his graciousness. That's what he's called us to do. And the way we do that is by listening to his word. He's given us a warning this morning. Don't chase after the things of the world. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. Obey him and you will be satisfied. Can we really know God? In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the men of Athens, the great thinkers, the philosophers of Greece. And he says, Paul says to them, the one God that you don't know, the one that you think just maybe is out there, but you haven't given him a name yet, that is the true God, the creator, the sustainer of all. And he wants you to seek after him. He says, I want you to find me, to know me. I'm not far from you. Just take a step closer. Seek after me and I will draw close to you. And the first step of that is to humble yourself. This message of repentance is recognizing the things that we have done against a holy and perfect God. Our sin and saying, God, forgive me of my sin, cleanse me and make me whiter than snow. There's only one way to know God. There's only one way to know this Savior and that's His Son, Jesus Christ. By the name of Jesus Christ, you can be saved and by Him alone. Do you see yourself anywhere in these final chapters of Hosea? Are you someone who knows God but you're not living like you should? You're not reading and obeying his word, you're looking for fulfillment in things or people. Maybe it's your accomplishments. Maybe it's your family. God just is not coming in first in your life. Today, his message is, come back to me. <clears throat> like he called back Israel. Repent of your sins. Come back. Return to me. And I will welcome you with my loving arms. Or maybe you just don't really know God. You've been trying to please Him. You've been offering things to Him. Maybe going to church. Maybe going through the motions. Maybe giving. Maybe doing good things. And just hoping that God would see those and say, Yeah, that's good enough. Come on in. And God says, None of those things are what I'm really looking for. I'm looking for your heart. I'm looking for humility. I'm looking for a recognition that you're just not good enough. That God says, 
you're good enough for my son to die. And if you accept salvation through Jesus Christ alone, then you can know God. The promises that God made to Israel of a Savior, of blessings, of eternal life, were all fulfilled through His Son, Jesus Christ. I've said it before, He died on the cross to pay for your sins, to free you and I from them. Confess your sin. Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and choose Him as Lord of your life. Or maybe you think you have a close walk with God right now and you don't really think there's much room to grow. Watch out for pride. Whoever thinks he doesn't sin deceives himself, the Apostle John said. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God wants us to live a life of repentance, of confession, of continued growth, recognizing that it's through Him that we do anything good. It's through Him that we can bless others, that it's by living a life close to Him that makes all the difference. We need to continually grow to be more like His Son, Jesus Christ. The message of Hosea that we've heard over the last month or two is all about God's unconditional love, His forgiveness, His redeeming grace, healing and hope for the future. God's love is relentless. And whether He's calling you for the very first time or He's calling you back to Him, listen to that call and respond. Mark's going to come we're going to sing a closing song. You can call out to God right there in your seat. Pray to Him. Talk to Him. You can talk to me after the service or if you're online, contact our office and get a hold of me. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for Your relentless love. Thank You for caring for us, for calling us back to You. And thank you most of all for providing your son, Jesus Christ, who paid the amazing price for our sins. He gave his own life. Heavenly Father, thank you for offering that gift of salvation, of redemption, of restoration, of hope, and of healing. Lord, I pray that anyone this morning that doesn't know you would take that step of faith and begin a relationship with you. And for those of us who know you, Lord, let us be humble before you. Let us confess our sins and ask for your forgiveness because you are good and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.